You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Opera News. My name is Keith. The following articles are from the February 2023 Opera News and will begin with Spotlight by Rosalind Story. Clear Talent. Countertenor John Holiday sings multiple genres with joy. In the spring of 2020, countertenor John Holiday, staring at a calendar of lockdown cancellations, learned that NBC's televised singing competition, The Voice, was still auditioning. He won a spot on the show. With no live audience and judges and contestants prudently spaced, Holiday sang the opening of Errol Garner's classic ballad, Misty. Three tones, Look at Me, were all pop singer and voice coach John Legend needed to hear. He was all in. The color of Holiday's sound has a compelling soulfulness. Whether he is singing the gospel music from his Baptist childhood, a Handel opera, or a jazz classic. Holiday came in fifth in the voice competition, but by then he was a weekly presence on seven million TV screens. At 35, he had been singing professionally for years, opera, concert performances, and festivals, and had settled into an associate professorship at Lawrence University's Conservatory in Appleton, Wisconsin. But after the voice, what had been a promising career became an assured one. Growing up in Rosenberg, Texas, the young singer was inspired and tutored by his maternal grandmother and was admitted into the Fort Bend Boys Choir. While performing in a Houston Symphony production of Berlioz's Damnation de Faust with mezzo-soprano Denise Graves, Holiday was awestruck. I had never seen anyone who looked like me do what she was doing, Holiday says. She's part of the reason I sing opera. Graves now calls Holiday a consummate artist, adding, I am a fan. He's 100% in love with and devoted to creativity and music making. While Holiday's talent was always clear, it was not always clearly defined. While he was studying at Dallas's Southern Methodist University from 2003 to 2007, his teacher Barbara Hill Moore knew immediately that Holiday's voice was exceptional. But now she admits, I didn't know he was a countertenor, and neither did he. Moore listened to Holiday sing opera and gospel and queried him about his preference. Ultimately, Holiday delved deeper into the countertenor repertory, but he stayed close to his roots, continuing to sing multiple genres, but with attention to the demands of crossing from one style to another. He later attended Indiana University, University of Cincinnati College Conservatory, and Juilliard. Music is music, Holiday says. Singing varied styles is fulfilling to me, and when I'm doing crossover, there is no crossover. It's simply me, using the fullness and totality of who I am. For Holiday, there is a simple link between each style, his willingness to reach his audience, to humbly pull them in. John came from gospel and church music, 
where creativity and embellishment were absolutely necessary and encouraged, says Moore. What it did for him was perfect a sort of energy, a desire to connect with your audience. You hear singers all the time. They're fabulous, but they don't touch you. John touches you. In 2011, when Holiday was an apprentice singing in the chorus at Santa Fe Opera, tenor David Lomeli was singing Rodolfo in SFO's Bohème. Now the company's chief artistic director, Lomeli recalls, In the second act I heard this beautiful tone. I thought it was a soprano. That night we all went to Venezia's in Santa Fe, and John gets on the piano and starts jazzing and singing these classics with the most beautiful musicality I ever heard. The way he connects with an audience is massive. Now that live performances are back, there will be many audiences to connect with, and Holiday is in high demand. In 2021, he made his Metropolitan Opera debut, as Orpheus's double in Matthew O'Quinn's Eurydice, and joined the New York Philharmonic for Handel's Messiah. In March 2022, he sang The Refugee in Dallas Opera's production of Flight, conducted by Emmanuel Villon, who says, There is an amazing combination of an instrument that is out of the ordinary, an artist that is extremely refined, and a personality that is of the highest generosity. That combination is absolutely stunning and unique. At the beginning of the current season, in October 2022, Holiday sang the title role in the U.S. premiere of Ricardo Brochi's 18th-century opera Idaspe for Pittsburgh's Quantum Theater, then returned to the Met for the company premiere of Kevin Putz's new work The Hours in November. In May 2023, at Pittsburgh Opera, Holiday revisits the role of John Blue in Daniel Bernard Roumain's We Shall Not Be Moved, which he created at the opera's world premiere at Opera Philadelphia in 2017. Holiday intends to continue exploring his gifts, connecting with audiences and defying the limits of category. It's a lot of hard work, but the journey is so much fun, he says. It brings me peace, enables me to give joy and peace to other people. Asked how he would describe his art, he says, I'm creating my own path. I hope people will write that no one put him in a box, that he did it his way, and that he did it with joy and love. Rosalind Story, Fort Worth Symphony violinist and adjunct professor of black music history at Southern Methodist University, is the author of And So I Sing, African-American Divas of Opera and Concert. And now spotlight by Fred Cohn. Woman of Iron, the legacy of American soprano Dorothy Maynor lives on. Soprano Dorothy Maynor was every bit the reserved Southern lady, but she was also a person of iron determination. She forged a brilliant concert career during an era that offered few opportunities to black singers. When the curtain closed on that part of her life, she went on to an even greater accomplishment, the launching of the Harlem School of the Arts, 
a hallowed institution that to this day reflects her extraordinary vision. Maynard was born in 1910 in Norfolk, Virginia, the daughter of a Methodist minister. As a teenager, she attended Hampton Institute, a nearby historically black institution, and found a mentor in its choir conductor, R. Nathaniel Dett, the black Canadian composer and conductor. Dett recognized her talent from the first, and when the Hampton Institute Choir played Carnegie Hall in 1926, he gave Maynard a solo. She was just 15. Intending to become a teacher and choir director, Maynard studied choir at Westminster Choir College in Princeton, New Jersey, where she befriended the town's most famous resident, Albert Einstein. She got a teaching job after graduation at Phoenix Training School on the Hampton Institute campus, but a group of supporters persuaded her to move to New York to study singing and pursue a career. In 1939, her vocal coach, Alan Houghton, arranged an audition for her at Carnegie Hall that resulted in a contract with Columbia Artists Management. Soon thereafter, she auditioned at the Berkshire Festival for Sergei Kusevitsky, who deemed her a musical revelation. The celebrated conductor's ecstatic reaction paved the way for her New York recital debut at Town Hall on November 19, 1939. In his review, critic Olin Downs offered praise of an extravagance seldom seen in the pages of the New York Times. Miss Maynard's voice is phenomenal for its range, character, and varied expressive resources, he wrote. She should be able to reach any height as one of the leading concert singers of her generation. A recording from that period, a 1940 recital at the Library of Congress, with her frequent collaborator Arpad Sandor at the piano, gives a sense of what the fuss was about. The shimmering beauty of her voice, with its fine-spun vibrato, is immediately striking. So is its consistency from top to bottom, and at all dynamic levels. The pianissimo ending of Strauss's Wiegenlied is particularly ravishing. Maynard clearly had a recitalist's gift of communication. She conveys the effective essence of each song directly and powerfully. For all her discretion as a performer, her concert personality is unmistakable. She lets you know just who is singing. Maynard was a recitalist by default. Over the course of her career, she learned 23 opera roles, but she never got to sing in any of them. When she embarked on her professional path, the stages of the nation's opera houses were off-limits to black singers. But her accomplishment was nonetheless formidable, and she broke much new ground. In 1951, she appeared with the National Symphony Orchestra at Washington's Constitution Hall, run by the Daughters of the American Revolution, and broke the ban on black performers that in 1939 had famously prevented Marian Anderson's appearance in the space. The following year, Maynard sang at Dwight Eisenhower's inauguration, making her the first black singer to perform at such an event. Maynard's dedication to the education of black musicians 
stemmed from her visits during the 1930s to Harlem's legendary Savoy Ballroom, where she had observed white bandleaders notating the music of black jazz bands as they played, with the probable aim of appropriating the music. The sight made her determined to foster black musical literacy. She had moved to Harlem in 1943 when her husband, the Reverend Shelby Rooks, was appointed the pastor of St. James Presbyterian Church. In 1963, her career winding down, she persuaded Rooks to let her use the church's recreation center for a music education program into which she channeled her energies. It was dubbed the Harlem School of the Arts in 1964, eventually incorporating theater and dance as well as music. Maynard's exalted artistic reputation was no doubt a factor in the number of high-profile advisors and supporters she enlisted, a group that included such bold-faced names as George Balanchine, Samuel Barber, Leonard Bernstein, and Agnes DeMille. The school opened a new state-of-the-art facility in 1979, its construction in large part a product of Maynard's grit and perseverance. One donor reported coming downstairs at his home and finding Maynard camped out on his couch. I just went right back upstairs and got my checkbook, he said, because I knew she wasn't going anywhere until I'd done what she wanted me to do. When a cancer scare in 1979 sent Maynard into the hospital, she summoned mezzo-soprano Betty Allen to her bedside. Well, young lady... I guess you will have to take over the school, she told the astonished Allen. Maynard never returned to HSA, and Allen took over as its president and CEO. Maynard died in 1985, but HSA thrives to this day, an implicit tribute to her foresight and dedication. Yolanda Wins, chair of the music at HSA since 2015, Never met the school's founder, but she keeps a photo of Maynard hanging proudly above her desk. I feel her presence in this space, Wynne says. Her legacy lives on, and the mission lives on. And now graceful strength. This month, Janai Brueger sings Susanna in L.A. Opera's New Figaro by Evelyn G. Kochak. Janai Brueger arrives at the Opera News offices for our interview on a sunny October morning. Eyes shaded by large emerald-framed glasses, she exudes a rare combination of elegance and approachability. Brueger is composed but resonates warmth, responding to nearly every question with a delicate thank you. The lyric soprano is in New York to sing Klaus in the mid-premiere of Cherubini's Medea. It is Brueger's first time in the role, and her first time opening a season at the house. She describes opening night as thrilling and exciting, but in keeping with her aura of generosity, she quickly diverts attention to her co-stars. I'm super honored to be on stage with Sandra Rodvanovsky and Matthew Polanzani, with all of my colleagues, she says but to especially see them since I admired their careers since I started in this business. 
is just kind of like a pinch-me moment to realize that I'm up there with them. This month, the singer returns to her artistic home at L.A. Opera to sing Susanna in the company's new staging of Figaro, directed by filmmaker James Gray, with costumes by Christian LaCroix. In June 2023, Brueger will make a role in House Debut, singing the title role in a new production of Susanna at Opera Theatre of St. Louis. Her calendar also includes a role in House Debut in Jake Heggie's Intelligence at Houston Grand Opera. Brueger, who grew up and is still based in the Chicago area, received a bachelor's degree in music from DePaul University and a master's in vocal performance from the University of Michigan, where she studied with mentor Shirley Verrett, who died in 2010. Brueger says Verrett was a huge inspiration. She still is. Even though she's not physically here, she is spiritually here with me. She also credits Verrett with giving her the kind of no-nonsense advice she needed to pursue a career in opera. She was always honest with her students, she says. We could always ask her anything, and she didn't mince words or sugarcoat anything, and I appreciate that because it really let me know what I was entering into, or could be entering into, if I were to pursue this further. In 2012, Brueger won both Operalia and the Metropolitan Opera National Council auditions. That same year, she made her Met debut, singing Liu in Turandot, a role she still holds close. I love her character, Brueger says. I feel like she is so much like me in some ways. She's just very loyal and compassionate and selfless. I wish I could be as selfless as she is, especially at the end. But I just love her strength and what she goes through for somebody that she loves. And Liu has opened so many doors. I made a lot of fabulous house debuts with that role. So she's special to me in that regard. Brueger is no stranger to sacrifice. As her career took off, she moved to New York for a year with her son, a toddler at the time, and discovered the challenges of balancing performing and parenting. You know, there is no manual, like they always say, says Brueger. So for me, especially because everything happened at the same time, my career and motherhood, I really was just jumping in kind of blindly with both feet. The singer is grateful for the ways in which her son has broadened her perspective. When you become a parent, you're looking at the world again through a little one's eyes, and it's actually beautiful to see and witness, she says. And you do take that into, at least I do, into a lot of the roles that I do. Brueger's process for learning new roles begins with a text. I speak it over and over and over to make it as organic as possible, she says. And then, when I can, I start adding in the notes and the rhythms. If she's short on time, the soprano listens to recordings of other artists just to hear how they've done it, how they've approached it, to hear different tempi, just to get some inspiration as to how it goes, says Brueger. 
But then, at the end of the day, you've got to put it in your own voice and body and put your own stamp on it. In preparing Klaus, the unwitting bride of Giasone, who is murdered by his vengeful ex-lover Medea, Brueger worked with coaches to master the technical demands of the role. Klaus is not necessarily a long role, she says, but the tessitura, where it sits, where Cherubini has it placed, is just difficult for the soprano. Brueger tackled Klaus's lengthy opening aria in small sections. I get all of my hard stuff out of the way at the beginning, which is great, but also nerve-wracking, because you've got to set the tone. It starts high and just keeps going. It's intense. Medea's director, David McVicker, was instrumental in encouraging Brueger's nuanced interpretation. I've worked with David once before as Pamina in her 2015 Royal Opera House debut. I told him, I was a baby when I first met you and worked with you, and now I feel a little bit more grown up taking on this role with him. But one of the most inspiring things about working with David is that he just always pushes you out of your comfort zone in the right way to really give in to the character and find that character's emotion. Brueger was intent on finding Glaus's inner resolve, despite the tragedy set to befall her. I always try to find each of these characters' strength, she says. I never like to play a weak character. Even when it seems like they are, they're never weak. Each of them has some kind of inner strength that gets them from point A to B wherever the arc ends. I come from a family of very strong women and very empowering female role models around me in my life, in the industry, and at home. Brueger's mother brought classical music into the singer's life. She was taking me, at a very, very, very young age, to Lyric Opera of Chicago, to the symphony, to Ravinia, to Grant Park. So I was always introduced to that, Listening to the three tenors, Pavarotti, Kiri Te Kanawa, Jesse Norman, it was always playing in the background. So I had an appreciation for classical music. I never thought I would make a career out of it. I never saw myself singing classical music. As her career took off, critics noted the soprano's ability to balance seemingly disparate qualities, finding both passion and control, dignity and pathos in her singing. A graduate of L.A. Opera's Domingo Colburn Stein Young Artist Program, Brueger had a string of early successes at the house, including her 2013 performances as Pamina in Barry Kosky's production of The Magic Flute. Writing in the New York Times, Zachary Wolf praised Brueger's ability to exhibit the tender force of her personality, hailing her Pamina as a performance that was the apotheosis of the thirty-something with both the freshness of youth and the depth of age. Pamina remains a favorite role. You can't go wrong with Mozart and your technique, she says. It's so exposed. It's so open. And Pamina, I mean, her aria is definitely that. But Brueger, now forty, says her voice has gotten a little bit bigger and darker. She feels ready to begin moving into doing fuller lyrical rep, 
easing into it. I'm always slow and hesitant with that, just because my biggest thing is longevity, making sure that I don't do something too big too soon, and protecting my voice as long as I can. So yeah, Mimis, Contessas, Fiordilishi, just moving in that direction. I wasn't ready to sing Violetta a couple of years ago, because I just felt like that was just big. We'll continue with the short remainder of this article next time. Thank you for joining us for Opera News. My name is Keith. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.